Welcome to episode 128 of the Behind the Wealth podcast, where we bring you insights into personal finance and wealth building. I'm Roger, and I'm here with my co-host, Elias. How's it going today, Elias? Awesome. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm phenomenal. You know, last show we talked about ChatGTP and a lot of the buzz, and I, I was on my way to work this morning, and I pulled up a Bloomberg article, and uh, I'll actually pull it up here because I think it's pretty interesting, um, and it kind of goes to... To, to our industry in general, but Bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo, City, Goldman Sachs have all banned chat GTP use by their employees. And here's what I'm trying to figure out about this. Why? Because arguably chat GTP is just gathering information that probably can be found on all public information sources. So I'm, I'm interested to see what some of the rationale is behind this because, you know, we can look at technology really in two ways. We can look at technology as making us more efficient or not. And, and I did the, the radio show Tuesday night. I know you weren't there, but I had this discussion that I don't think AI is going to replace humans, but I think what it can do, especially like being a financial advisor or your attorney or your CPA, I think what it does is it can potentially make us more efficient and give better overall outcomes to clients and families and businesses because of the information it can provide in a very, very fast and efficient manner. Yeah, I'd be interested to see why those firms uh, are banning chat GPT. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I can't think of a good reason why they would. I mean, I think it's almost like what we talk about with financial planning. You know, our financial planning software, we've said for years that it's only as good as the person interpreting the data. If there's no human emotion behind it to figure out how all this works, it's literally spitting out numbers. Most people can't figure it out. So I see chat GTP as one of those things that, hey, it's going to spit out data or information to us. And then the human puts all the emotion behind it and kind of brings it to life and interprets and makes sure the data is actually accurate. I know on the, the radio show, Randy was hosting it because Doug was in Chicago. And he said, Mike Halas, who's the local sports reporter, put something in, into chat GTP or some AI, other AI software and said it was the information wasn't accurate. So I think at this point, we're still going to run into situa situations where information that's being spit out has to be reviewed to make sure that it's still, you know, fairly accurate. So what information did he put in? I don't I don't have the specifics, but I just know that he said Mike put some information in about some type of sporting activity and he said it didn't spit out accurate information. Once again, accurate's probably subjective to the person interpreting that data. But I just think it's interesting. Our industry's always kind of the last to adopt. Somebody told me the other day that our industry is cutting edge from technology standpoint. And I reminded them we just got DocuSign like five years ago. Yeah, who said that? I don't remember, but I'm like, we just got DocuSign. You think about how far behind the times we are. And a lot of it revolves around compliance and making sure that there's a way to track and make sure that advisors and registered investment advisors and people are doing what's right by clients. But sometimes that, that comes at the lack of technological innovation. So with that said, let's kind of get into the outline unless you have anything else to add. But I thought that was an interesting article and I'm sure we're going to keep tracking as it's going to be 
talked about a lot going forward. Yeah, hopefully uh, ChatGPT can't replace me because that would be terrible. Lose my job to a robot, and then what would I do? Well, I, I was listening to CNBC on the way into the office Friday, and Jim Cramer was talking about this on uh, on the show. And he said, if you're not in a job that's revenue generating, meaning your job doesn't directly generate revenue of some kind, you should be concerned about your job. And he brought up the the whole um, answering of phones. You know, we, we went from, we, we all have a nice assistant that answers the phone, really cordial, and people like to talk to them, to now press one to go here, dial an extension, which is completely, you know, informal. And in his thought was, well, with this technology, you could potentially get a AI computer or chatbot to answer the phone, sound like a real human and potentially do a better job of getting the call to where it needs to go. Think about when you call to do a 401k rollover. What if it was all run by AI? Yeah, roll. Yeah, I could see that. I could see rollovers being all. Okay, but AI. Okay, that's just our industry. How many industries are there? All these call centers, service centers that arguably with the right technology, those jobs could potentially be eliminated. I mean, I've yeah, seen that's what interesting. this could do. I guess ultimately it might come down to what people think provides better customer service. Well, probably talk to a person. Maybe you feel like you're getting better customer service. So I don't you, know. It's how are you not going to know you're how, how are you going to know you're not talking to a person? It's going to sound like a I person. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never had a conversation with a robot or artificial intelligence. I don't know what that's like. Well, I, I don't know if you have. Maybe we have. And we just don't know. Think about that. I'm just we start to think about all the things this can do. That's a non-revenue generating job, right? That, that's a service job. That if you call to do a 401k rollover, you're going to say, I want to do a 401k rollover. If I typed in right now into chat GTP how to do a 401k rollover, it would tell me exactly how to do it and probably better than the human on the other end of the line. Yeah, potentially. So I think it's pretty game-changing technology. With that said, the show today, we're going to talk about different income streams and primarily... A lot of this is for retirees as a lot of retirees are actually heading back to work. And we've seen this over the years that we've been in our industry that retirees think one thing's going to happen in retirement, but it's a completely different scenario. And I always go back to, you know, I, I know an individual that um, retired early. I mean, full, he had his full retirement benefits, but retired early, like in his early 60s, maybe 60 or so. I don't remember the exact age. But he's like, well, I'm going to play golf four times a week. And it was great for the first summer. And then he had a job because in Iowa in the winter, unless you leave, there's no golf to be played. So now he works for a local um, uh, local grocery store and delivers flowers. And I asked why he does. He's like, well, I want to be busy and I like to make people happy. He goes, this is kind of a, you know, no one's ever upset usually when you deliver flowers to their house on Valentine's day or for birthday. So kind of his job, but a lot of retirees are heading back to work some for money reasons. And, and we actually have the top five reasons why people are actually heading back to work. Um, 
Do you know any retirees who've gone back to work? I'm sure you have. Uh, I know people that they work part-time really just because they want something to do. I know it's a fear that most retired people have. I have I've had several conversations the last year about I'm worried I'm going to have to go back to work, right, because we have one bad market um, in the last 12 years or so, and it was a concern for people and that they were going to run out of money now and things weren't working, but um, – you know, it is nice, and I think it gives people some comfort when you can let them know, well, technically we have been planning for bad times. Everyone I've talked to about it was still on track and would not have to go back to work. Um, but I think it's a real concern that people have, or they start to retire and they don't understand. They don't really understand how do I turn this into um, income and how do I live off the money so I, I guess I don't know anyone. I know people who have worked part-time for something to do. I don't know anyone that's been forced to go back to work. I mean, I'm sure I talked to plenty of people who are still working because they just can't retire. They can't afford to retire. You know, wh wh whatever their reasons may be, ultimately, they probably just can't afford it. That, Elias, that doesn't actually surprise me that the clients we work with aren't going back because they don't need money because we've done financial planning. But what it makes me think about is only 27% of individuals have done a financial plan. How do those people feel when you have a stock market that is down 15% for over 12 months now? Those are the people who probably start to feel a level of anxiety. They don't have anybody letting them know, hey, you're going to be okay. We've tested for this. These are the different scenarios that could potentially play out. Um, they're just kind of winging it. Those are the people I, and that, so that doesn't surprise me that people we work with aren't going back to work. Uh, but here's the top five reasons cited by people um, in a recent study from paychecks.com. One was personal reasons. Two is needing more money. Three is getting bored. Four is feeling lonely. And five is inflation. So, you know, when people think about working, like, why do we work now? We're working now to accumulate wealth so that sometime in the future, we have the opportunity or choice not to work. Three of the top five reasons people are going back to work actually have nothing to do with money. Yep. Feeling lonely, getting bored, and then personal reasons. You think about that. Like, so as we get older, I feel like working becomes more like social just purpose and meaning. It's probably not about the money and that we always have the adage. It's easier to go back to work when you don't have to, or you get to do what you want. And I've said for years, if I retired from this job, I'd go work at Shields or Cabela's or some sporting goods place, part time or boat dealership or something that I just love to do because it would never be like work. Not that this is really like work either. So, but I think it's interesting that those are three of the top five reasons are non-financial. It is. And I, th you know, I, I think uh, you're right when you talk about people like to socialize. I think that's a big reason why people continue to work part time or they do something that they think is uh, it's not as stressful as what their full career was, but it's certainly something to do a reason to get out of the house. 
um, and hopefully low stress, right? Like if you're retired and living off of your money, why would you want to introduce a bunch of stress into your life with a job? So I know there's a family that I work with that they clean the office of their accountant. And this just kind of like came up through conversation. They've never had a cleaning business. They've never had a business in general. They've all, they worked for someone else, but their accountant wasn't happy with the cleaning service and knew that they were retiring and just asked them if they would be interested in doing it. And they're, they do it because it's one, no schedule. So like if they're going to go on vacation, they don't have to do it. They're going to go do something, but then it gives them something to do and just a reason to get out of the house. I don't imagine it's very fun cleaning an office, but I think they just like having, okay, this is something I know I'm going to do every week just to get me engaged in something outside of your hobbies or whatever it may be. So I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, if I were able to retire, I think I would continue working in some capacity. I have too much fun doing a lot of different things, so I don't. Well, I mean, what are you really going to, if you retire at 60, what are you going to do with you? Now, okay, let me back it up. If you were 60 and you had grandkids and they were close to you, maybe that's why you're retiring. You want to help take care of your grandkids or see them every day. I just can't imagine retiring at 62 years old and not having a plan put in place, not financial plan, just like a mental plan i mean i have as yeah. many hobbies as anybody i know i'm not sure with all the stuff i like to do i could keep myself busy enough with those hobbies all year i mean i fish i boat i hunt like all that stuff i still don't know if i could keep myself busy enough with all that stuff maybe i could yeah i don't know you probably have to have other things in your routine like but, going to the gym but most stuff like that, you have to do stuff like most that. people, most people don't have three hobbies that all three of the hobbies are actually very time consuming hobbies. The average person might play golf. That's time consuming. Okay. True. But like how many people do you know that they don't have any hobbies? I know a lot of people. Do you? I mean, I could name a list of people that don't. Like shopping's your hobby. How much shopping can you do? And you better have a lot of money if shopping's your hobby. <laughs> that sounds miserable. Well, one thing though, you know, people that are going back to um, back to work, they don't always think about is how does the additional income start to affect their retirement from Social Security to Medicare planning. Uh, there, there's a lot of different things that can affect it. But one of the things is the social security. If you, if you were 62 and you retired, there's a cap on how much you can make. I shouldn't say there's a cap. There's a cap on how much you should make and still receive your full social security benefit. And the cap is $21,240. And once you go over that, every $2 over the limit, over that 21,000, they withheld, they withhold $1 in benefits from your social security check. And here's the thing about it. People think that just goes away. Well, it doesn't just go away. You reclaim those benefits when you hit full retirement age in the form of a higher check. But there's so many people that come in here and say, well, I can only make X. Well, yeah, you can to keep getting that social security benefit you have, but you're not losing the social security benefits that are withheld. You're just getting them back at full retirement age. 
But people that are planning on a $2,000 a month social security check plus their job may not get that full $2,000 social security check if they go back to work. So there's some things we need to really take into consideration if you're going to retire early, but then go back to work. Yeah, there is. The, another thing is your, uh, your Medicare premiums. So those are determined, um, on income, right? So if you decide to go back to work and you start making more income, you could be paying more out of pocket expense for your Medicare premiums, which I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it. It's just something that can happen. Well, we run into this a lot. The Medicare premiums, nobody actually, I just won't say nobody, but very few people think about this in their overall financial planning, not just going back to work, but we see it a lot when Roth conversions come up. Go meet with our CPA. And what you have to remember about CPAs or accountants, they're just all about taxes. They're not looking at the full picture. So they have a client who, yeah, they have a million dollars in an IRA and they're like, we want to convert this to a Roth over five years or whatever the time frame." And the next thing they know, now their Medicare premium is $400 a month because they went to a different income bracket. So there's a lot of moving parts here that if you're navigating this on your set, on your own, you probably want to make sure you're not doing anything to hurt your financial situation because you want to go back to work. Um, and these are all things that you should do before you actually retire. This is all part of the financial planning process uh, that we help people with, with every single day. But what's interesting too, Elias, about going back to work, it's different today than it was, 50, it was different today than 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it's really because of the, the gig economy. Um, it makes me think about a video. Do you ever watch Gary V? No. You know what Gary V is? No. He started a wine distributing company like online. He's notorious for like showing people how to make an extra $10,000 going to grocery stores, but he's kind of like a, he's a billionaire, but he's an internet personality. And I was watching one the other day and, um, he was talking about the gig economy and employment. We've actually brought this up before. Why is why is the unemployment rate so low? And I had the theory that it's because we have all these individuals under 30 that have decided I don't have to go sit at a desk from eight to five. I can go create content or be part of the gig economy and make the same amount of money, but reclaim my freedom. So he's doing a video on this. He said the young generation, they're not going to work. They're going to do the gig economy because they can make $60,000 working from their home when they want versus going over to Collins or whatever big employer making $42,000 to sit in a cubicle. So the yeah, gig economy has changed. There's a lot of money in the gig economy. There is. That's probably going to be a fad, though. You think I mean, so? Yeah, to me, that's similar to saying, and I remember in our business when people talked about how young people weren't going to buy homes. They're just going to rent because they want to be able to move. Yeah, that was they like want. five or six years ago. They were talking about that. Yeah. And so I don't, that's changed. Elias, gig actually, actually, I don't think it's changed. They can't afford to buy a house now. Maybe not. They still want to. Yeah, no, I agree. But I'm just saying, you know, they might not even be able to afford it now. Yeah. Well, there's affordable, there's affordable homes, at least, in our area in the Midwest where we live that if you have a good job, you can afford, um, but like the gig, okay. The gig economy, there might be some people who do it for a career, but there's still going to be like traditional careers aren't going away. I don't think I'm, there's not enough that there's not enough, um, 
like incentive or benefit to do it. I don't think right now. And yeah, of course, young people want to work in the gig economy and, and make content, but it's just like any other career, only a certain percentage is going to be successful at doing that. So ultimately you're going to have to find, find a path for yourself that you can be successful. And I don't know that you can drive Uber and do DoorDash and create content and manage all those things and do them all effectively. Maybe some people can, but. Well, so here's how I feel about that. I think you could go earn an above average wage in the gig economy. If you did Uber and DoorDash and created content and all those different things, I think you probably could earn above average income. But to do that, you probably have to work more than you just would at a normal job. Yeah, but you're working on your terms and your time. So if you want to go not work on Friday morning and you want to work Friday till 1 a.m., you can. Like if you wanted to go golfing Friday morning, say, hey, I'm not going to start working until noon, you can. Your employer is yeah. going to expect you to be there. Or okay. if you want to do all your work on the weekend, you can. You can do all your work in a couple of days probably. But here's where I think there's going to be this divergence. When you're 25 years old, all you're really concerned about is how much money I can make. Do I have money to go hang out with my friends this weekend? All the fun things. You're not thinking about the benefits. And I think that's when people start to come back. These young people start to come back to employers when they realize, hey, having a health insurance benefit is meaningful. Having a retirement benefit is meaningful because I haven't saved anything. That's when they're going to come back when they need some benefits because they're not going to provide those benefits for themselves. That is unless the gig economy comes up with some type of a, you know, a union situation they could join that provides some type of benefit to them. So if you're going to get in, you know, if you're looking at generating multiple income streams, and it's whether you're, it's not just retired. If you were employed and you wanted to generate more money, there's ways to do it in the gig economy. And I always go back to people that are in debt. What's the best way to get out of debt? Get on a budget, figure out where your money's going, but then just get a second job because you're probably already living to your full lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like if you're making 5,000 a month, you're probably spending five grand a month. So getting a second job and the gig economy is a way to do that. We've had clients. In fact, I can think of a client right now who they drive Uber just for their extra mad money. Instead of going to their family budget, they're driving Uber. Okay. Well, they make a couple hundred bucks a week. That's their whiskey or bourbon money or whatever it is. But if you're going to do the gig economy, the first thing to do is probably identify what your skills or expertise are that's better than somebody else or better than average that someone want to hire you to do it. Yep. So our friend Brad, his son's a you know computer guy. So graphic design, he'll be doing graphic design work. You could be writing blogs for people or proofreading. There's a whole bunch of side gig stuff that can be done um, that people aren't thinking about. I read over the weekend, there's an article about a gal who lost her job now she's making $100,000 a year on Fiverr, which I think is where they outsource like small writing projects to. She's making 100,000 a year doing that. She's she's like, why would I go back to my regular job? I was making 60 when I'm making 100 now, working how and when I want. She's picking the job she wants. So, but that that's the trick to this is you have to have a level of skill or expertise that someone doesn't have or you can fulfill for somebody. Otherwise you're just gonna get kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not going to be easy. It's more possible now to make a living through the gig economy, but it's not going to just be a walk in the park. Like nothing is, there's nothing that's worth doing 
and like making it. So the lady you're talking about, well, it's not easy. Maybe it's easy for her to write, but it wasn't easy to get those skills. She either taught herself or went to school. She did something to be able to have that skill to provide that value. Um, but hey, I love the age of the side hustle. So here would be the perfect, if I was going to retire, here's the perfect gig economy jobs for me. I go to the golf course and help mow. And then I get to play golf like nine holes, not 18. 18 is too much for one day. <laughs> and then show up somewhere at like 3.30 and work the happy hour shift and serve all the regulars, but no food. Okay, so where am I going to do that? See, me, I, now I'm being picky. I only want to serve drinks. I don't want to serve food. But that's what I would want to do. And then you go um, rough football on Friday night and Saturday morning and call it a weekend. Yeah, that would be my gig economy dream job. Are so, you technically in the gig economy since there, you do the refereeing? Um, well, it's I kind of. I mean, yeah, you're not doing it. That's yeah. I mean, you're is. getting paid. Is it mean I don't know what you get paid to do? It's probably not a lot, but it's still kind of the gig economy. Like, I'm sure there's people it's an out older, there. It's an older gig economy job. It was, it was a gig economy job before that was even a Yeah, term. but that's why I'm saying, like, yeah. there just used like to be a gig economy, just different. Just like serving tables or bartending, that's always been gig economy. Okay, this is just a random question. Assuming you never got to, like, Big Ten officiating, is it possible for a person who's a referee to turn that in if they're refereeing, like, basketball, football, baseball, like all the sports. So you're doing it for all the sports. Yeah. Could you, you actually make a full-time living doing um, it? You could support yourself. You couldn't support a family on what they pay um, officials. You'd have to go to the next level to do that. Like you probably have to yeah. get to like Big Ten. Then you have right. to do if you did one, of... If you did one division one sport and then like you could supplement your schedule with high school sports, you could probably work enough to support a family. But – one of your sports, you'd have to be making at least Division One or professional income. To how hard is it to it. get there? I uh, mean, I'm sure the professional, but how hard is it to get into like Division One football? It's very or Division One basketball. It's very competitive because um, all the best officials want those jobs, and I honestly don't know. I don't know how hard it is. Um, everyone, everyone says it's it's difficult and it's very competitive, but. Um, there's people doing it, so it's not impossible. I love what you said, though. That was the gig economy before the gig economy. And just think about that. We just talked about how you have to have a level of skill or expertise. Well, to do that, you have to have a level of skill or expertise beyond the normal person, beyond the guy sitting on this couch yelling holding on Saturday morning. Yeah, so I can tell you <laughs> from personal experience to officiate football, you have to understand more about the game than you get past the stick and then you get four more tries and then you get past that line and you get six points, which I'm not being negative, but that's basically what fans understand, the vast majority of fans. That's what they know about football. Well, no, and I You agree have to with, know a lot more. I agree with that because you've, you've had different video clips you bring in to me and say, hey, do you think I got this call right? And you know what the right call is already because it's been reviewed, but you're like quizzing me to see if I know because I'm just, you know, I'm the Saturday and Sunday armchair quarterback trying to be the coach and the referee and all that stuff, and I've got a limited amount of knowledge. Yelling at me that that's a terrible call. How could you do such a thing in that situation? Yeah, that, that yeah. well, you know, I try to actually not yell at the refs during the games. Just I don't want to be that guy. I've heard plenty of people. I, I always talk to my wife and my when my girls are in sports, I'm going to be the dad out in left field. 
away from not screaming at people. Yeah, not sc- yeah, just that'll be me s- screaming to myself internally, just not around the other people and getting caught up in the heat of the moment. Yeah, I watch these videos. Of these parents just going ballistic on these umpires, like they have it out for their kids or something. I'm like, man, the, yeah. Baseball, pe- ba- baseball, and so- softball is the worst. These umpires are literally here on a Saturday morning for like. Fifteen dollars. Yeah, helping you know, your kid you, out, and you're giving them a hard time. You know why the strike zone's big? Because they want the kids to swing the bat. Yeah. So tell your kids start swinging at pitches, and the game will go faster, and you'll <laughs> be less frustrated. But I've I've talked to uh, umpires, and that's the big thing is, especially like the younger you go, the bigger the strike zone, because the pitchers aren't very good yet. Yeah. So you can't call a tight strike zone, or else you'll be there all day long. Walk, walk walk so in little league baseball you're gonna strike out on balls sometimes but they want you to swing the bat because they want to you want to go home the kids want to go home eventually uh, everyone wants to go home can't be there all day kids want to eat ice cream after the game that's most of these kids are like eight years old and seven years old the most exciting part of the day for them is what ice cream treat some parent brought for after the game yeah so they get it they get it the worst because it's football is different there's the majority of plays in football go correctly meaning no foul was ever committed well yeah because there's not as much ambiguity you know what i mean like oh it's not like this is the defined strike zone right there's a level of in football there's a level of i don't how do i want to say this like there's a gray area kind of like well you probably could call holding on every play but you're not going to you're going to make did it affect the play was it egregious like all those different factors where baseball it's like well it was over the plate or it wasn't and yeah. he was safer out. So, right. And it's every when you're an umpire getting yelled at because of the, your strike zone. It's not like, you know, football, you have one hold and then there's 20 plays where there's no foul. There's a pitch every, that's the play in baseball. Yeah. It starts with the pitch. There's a right or wrong. So it's just never. So then you get in situations where it's just every single pitch. So those if, guys get it the worst. Well, it's one of the emerging trends in the gig economy is the, the creation of content. And, Really, that's just building out a brand for yourself, building an online presence, you know, getting reviews, building out a website, blogging, all those different things. And that, that can be meaningful, but I can tell people that think that's easy, that's way harder than you think it is. So Elias, just think about, we've, been, we've done 128 episodes of this podcast, and granted, we don't put, like we're not advertising it, it's all just organic, we're not spending money to get this out there. But it's taken us... 128 episodes, and we have a little over 8,600 audio subscribers for this podcast, which is seems like a big number, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that many. Um, so people that think they're going to build this online presence and create content, it's really a full-time job. If we treated this like a full-time job, I believe we could build that out, but it's not. We do this to educate people. You know, let our let our fans, our listeners, our clients give them information that they're potentially looking for. Um, so that that's one word of caution, people. If you think you're going to go build this massive online presence in a short period of time, it's going to take a long time to do it. I know there's a lot of people out there selling courses on how to do it. They're selling the courses how to do it because that's how they're monetizing their online business. Yeah, that that is true. And this so content creation and a podcast, the stuff we do, that's in addition to our really all the main task of running this business. Um, But the top so we've studied a lot of the top content creators and 
the people who have the most followers and like Joe Rogan, for example, has millions and millions of podcast subscribers, YouTube subscribers. He's worked a lot to do that. He may make it look easy, but what he has done is not easy. No. And none of them, no one, whether it's him or even Dave Ramsey or Graham Stephan, um, anyone who's real uh, like the Jake and Logan Paul, they all spend a lot of time. It's probably not as hard as it was when they started, but they still spend a significant amount of time and energy uh, executing all those things. So it well, is, it's a, it's more challenging than just, it might oh, be, I'm just going to start doing it. It's like anything. Once you have a base, it's clearly easier. Yeah. But I'd venture to guess if you're trying to get into content creation today, it's harder today than it was five years ago because now everybody wants to do it. There's way more people There's a lot more in this space. So this goes back to if you're going to do this as your gig economy, what's your skill or expertise that's better than somebody else? The people are going to want to listen to what you have to say. And then you can network, market your services. You know, there's online communities you can join with other gig workers. It's kind of like if, you know, we used to have the breakfast clubs where you get together with a real estate agent and a banker and you're networking to share leads. There's online communities that do the same thing. Um, so, you know, if you're going back to work and you want to be in the gig economy, there's there's obviously opportunities to make extra money there. But you really need to understand and identify what you're going to do, how you're going to do it and why somebody would want you to do this for them versus them do it themselves, you know. Clearly, DoorDash, you know, someone wants you to get their food for them. Uber, someone wants you to drive. But if you're going to do content creation, it's a whole different animal. Yeah, right, it is. So I think that's probably a good, at least if this is what you're going to do, it's a, a maybe a good thing to, you got to do an exercise to define what you're going to like to do and how you're going to do it. Um, you know, it probably is, if you can figure out, Gig economy might be sustainable, not just as part-time work, but maybe full career. You might be able to do it, but here's what here's what's kind of interesting. These five items we outlined, understanding the economy, potential benefits, identify your skills, build your brand, network and market, manage your time and finances effectively. Well, whether you're a gig economy worker or you're in a more traditional career, those things are the same in both. It, so it's going to take... It's, it's not like now there's a path to success that's easy, right? So anyone who wants to do it, it's still going to be very challenging. That's actually really good insight. All those skills that you need to like go have a gig job, you probably should have for your regular job too. Like they're not mutually exclusive. Like those no. are just good skills in general. If right. And there's probably more people. There's probably more people that are more suitable for a traditional career. Like the gig economy offers enough flexibility that to be like, when I think about this, you'd have to be very, very accountable to be successful. It'd be great if you could pull it off because then you're really in control of your schedule. But it's not just, oh, I bet like even I bet the most successful Uber drivers, they probably don't just like willy nilly turn on their Uber and just like work for two hours a day. They probably know exactly when they're gonna work. So they know how they know the hours that they can make the most money. And I'm guessing when they start, 
they work, maybe take a small break, work, take a break, but it's just like a, they probably schedule their own shift. Here's here's my concern with the gig jobs. I it's I think it's great if um, if you want to do the gig economy in retirement. I think most people that are doing this gig economy as a young young person and they carry it into their career, they're going to wake up in 10 years, they're still doing it, be like, I have nothing saved. I'm not on track for retirement. And now they're going to go think about starting a career 10 years later and all the skills they have are in the gig economy. You have no work experience for like an employer. It may be difficult for them to break into that world. Maybe not. Maybe they've developed enough really good skills that people are going to want want what they provide. But with that said, I think this is a great episode, Elias. Look forward to having you on next time. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want any information, you go you can go to btwellshow.com. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.